hello and welcome back to week three of the student angle as we enter week four of this lockdown three as tears for fears once said nothing ever lasts forever but this lockdown sure feels it today we have a new member matt hello welcome good evening how are we all is well here so matt do you want to give yourself a basic introduction yes uh uh similar to the lads here i'm not well yeah i think we're all 19 aren't we 19 nottingham trent student well, i'm 20 now but oh you're 20 old man i am old man. <laughs> you're an old man kieran mate yeah <laughs> uh, yes i'm a journalism student second year uh bit of squad rotation with gornal going out he's been dropped from the squad has <laughs> anyone checked how he is he's not said anything all day <laughs> not messaged me back to be fair so <laughs> probably wi-fi's down in norfolk or something Another power cut mid, mid pod. <laughs> He's gone by horse and carriage to put 50p in the meter. <laughs> right, I'm going to start off today's conversation with Trump's send off playlist included Macho Man, My Way, and Billy Jean. If you were to create a, pod, a playlist for Trump, what would it have been? I think there's one song that stands out, to be fair. What? Yeah. Um, it, it was a song that I think. Pretty sure it went number one in America when he became president, and that's Green Day, American Idiot. Is that like uh, Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead when Thatcher died? Hey, don't turn it around on good old Maggie. <laughs> what does a water pipe and a Maggie Thatcher have in common? What? They're both six foot under the ground. <sighs> <laughs> wow. Starting it well today, starting it well. <laughs> I, I can't believe he used Frank Sinatra and... Michael Jackson in his leaving ceremony. I loved the YMCA at the end. I was hoping he'd just whip it all out and just start boogie on stage. But oh, like he did in, in his rallies. Yeah, he's moving his arms like it's like you in a club, Kieran. <laughs> Kieran, you in a club? The sight to see, mate. Craig, it's been a year since we've been in a club. A year. Oh, oh my god. I looked at my uh, camera roll today, and the 30th of January was when they first brought coronavirus cases to the world. And at that point, it was just like, oh, it's just a little virus, it'll pass. But here we are, 361 days later. It's mad how small a thing we thought it was going to be, and just how such a massive issue it's grown to become. I remember yeah. we, we joked about it when we all had a little cough, and we sat and watched Champlain races. And we, we were just laughing at the fact that we had a virus. Let's go to the shops. We have a, we could have a virus. <laughs> uh, back to the inauguration. Um, <laughs> moving swiftly on. So um, I was going to say, like, I, when I was watching his final speech, there was times where I think we saw Trump actually show an emotion for the first time. Like, at points, it looked like he's about to end his speech, but then he'd just ramble on for another five minutes. He just wanted that five minutes of fame to last even longer yeah i think we certainly did see genuine trump um and i think a lot of people probably assumed that as soon as they heard that he was going to be speaking for himself rather than off an auto cue um, it wasn't a pre-prepared speech that had been given it was genuinely going to be what was coming into his mind was what he was going to say and i think that both excited people to wonder what he was going to say and also feared people as to what on earth he was going to come out with. Do you reckon he stood in his mirror before and sort of went through it all? Because I 
I don't think he did. I think he just came with it on the spot. Yeah, I think he just he wanted to steal the fight for that minute longer. I think the fact that he even used Air Force One to get to Florida is quite. It's just it just shows how much of a power fame hungry man he is. <laughs> well, the thing is, because he was still president when he left for. The nuclear football would have had to go with him because he was president. So it would then have to turn around and come What do you reckon his password was on the nuclear nuclear ball? Was it Trump is great or password one? One, two, three, four. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, I saw I saw a meme the other day where it was Joe Biden just looking confused and saying, "How was this man president? His password was password one two three. It's either that or it was I don't know what I'm doing here with no spaces. <laughs> Didn't his uh, Twitter account get hacked or something not so long ago, or someone hacked it to prove how simple his password was or something like that? It definitely was something like. Uh, Trump is great or something that just boosts his ego. I think that was um, clear, though, by the fact that, as you mentioned, he, him taking off in Air Force One to the soundtrack of My Way, it just looked like some kind of cringy film production. Uh, wheels coming off the tarmac just as it gets to that um, kind of well-known line. It's just, it was just so cringy. Yeah. I, re- I read there's, there's two nuclear uh, ball things. And at, at what point do you reckon they deactivated it? As soon as they got on that plane, I reckon someone sat at their computer deactivating it straight away. That'd be a great role to have, being the yeah. person that can deactivate it for Trump. <laughs> the, the only way his presidency could have gone worse if he was mid-flight and he's just gone, let's start a nuclear war. Oh, God. There was, like, because of, obviously, all the capital rights thing, I think I've mentioned before that there had to be generals doing interviews saying you know, we won't start a nuclear war if Trump tells us to. Yeah, I think, like, that was a genuine fear for some people. And it's It's been pretty, um, pretty uh, good that uh, Kim Jong-un and um, Putin have stayed quiet for the last year, because God knows what they've gone if they decided to, like, threaten anyone, especially the USA. Like, imagine if Putin had just gone to the USA, started another Cold War with him. I don't think Trump would have left it a Cold War for much for very long. I think that would have been a, instantly on his little laptop. Saying that, though, hasn't Biden sent more troops back into the Middle East? Has he? Who did he, who did he pardon in the end? Who, Trump? L- L- Lil Trump. Wayne. He should, have had a little, he should have had a little Wayne song on. Should have done a bit of, bit of press. Yeah, there was there was a number of different kind of convicted criminals that he pardoned. Um, Lil Wayne was certainly one of them. Do you just know what was the worst crime that anyone had done? I don't know, Alex. Do you? No, do you I idea? didn't have a clue. To be fair, Alex, you know what? What was Lil Wayne in prison for? I don't know. I don't know. No, I don't have a clue. So most of the ones he pardoned were like fraud and that, I'm pretty sure. Um, what do you think he's going to do now that he's not president? Because 
it's, I don't think I've heard something about his finances not being great. Um, <laughs> and saying that Deutsche Bank have said that they're not giving him any more loans. Um, I wonder how much he's in debt. That'll be. And obviously the New York um, prosecutors still want his tax returns. Like they're not going to go away. I'm gonna Google how much is Trump. Here you go. Um, Lil Wayne received a pardon after pleading guilty to a gun possession charge in Miami. To be fair, that's not exactly in the USA. That's not exactly the biggest crime in the world. Trump has a total of over one billion in debt. Oh jeez. Uh, around six hundred and forty million is owed to various banks. Around four hundred and fifty million uh, owed to unknown creditors, and Trump owes fifty million to Chicago Unit Accusation LLC, which is a company he owns. Imagine that one billion pounds. I get concerned when my uh, student finance uh, comes in and I'm minus one thousand five hundred in my overdraft. So moving on. What are what are our expectations for the exit strategy for Boris's big COVID plan? It'll be very slow and be very cautious. Like I think I saw that um, schools will get two weeks notice before they have to reopen. Um, and so, like, if they get two weeks notice on the mid-February date which is supposed to be like the renewal date. Oh, sorry, the date which they um, check, like, uh, the restrictions, etc. Then they won't open until the start of March. And I wonder if universities will also follow what schools are doing. But he told broadcast polls yesterday that he was looking at a potential relaxing of some measures before mid-February. I think... Um... What he said yesterday, I think, is probably a precursor to maybe letting schools return in the areas that have reduced a lot more. Um, so they were talking today a lot about how the cases are still high, but they're much lower now in areas such as the south, southeast and London, um, where they have been in the tighter restrictions for longest. So I think in those areas, if the deaths and the hospitalizations are lower, then you could argue, why not send the children back? Um, but we know with this virus, the more you mingle with people, the more it transmits, the more it transmits, the more people die. So it's kind of another balancing act, isn't it? Alex, you're our man with the stats for the game. How many vaccinations are we on? 6.85, I'm pretty sure. 6.85. Which would mean, I'm assuming... Judgment that um, today they hit seven. Obviously, the stats are a day behind. Yeah, we exactly. find out tomorrow. What was our? What was the target they set? Was it? It was five hundred thousand a day. I think. Was it? You to reach yeah. fifteen million. The fifteen million by uh, the week middle of, of February. Yeah, Valentine's yeah. Day or something, wasn't it? Yeah. So, I think they need to. There keeps being a weekend lag, doesn't it? It seems to the trend seems to be for it to slow at the start of the week to so Sunday, Monday, and then it have a rise throughout the rest of the week. That seems to be the trend where you need to get a constant 
400,000 vaccinations a day type thing. I don't mean to turn this sort of uh, directly on you, Alex, but you are working in a testing centre. So what's the experience been like in that environment? Yeah, um, so it's a rapid testing centre for people that, are, that don't have symptoms to try and get those asymptomatic cases isolating. So it's the lateral flow test. Just don't even have to book a test. You turn up, scan a QR code, log in on the NHS website, come come into one of the bays, get your test, and you get your results in about 40 minutes to an hour. So it's quite quite easy for people coming in. And it's not the most demanding of jobs. It's not the hardest of scientific things for someone that's not very scientific to do. So yeah, it's quite a quite a good thing really to I'd I'd say to be fair. I think Liverpool had one. Yeah, we've got one here. Yeah, you had you were the ones first ones to have it, was it November time? Uh around November, yeah. And yeah. I I think that's why we stayed in tier two while the rest of the country went to tier three and four. Perhaps that system sort of worked, I guess. Um how many sort of positive tests are you getting per I don't know, give us sort of the best ratio you can give. So, obviously the weekend quite down and it snowed, so it was a bit steady on the Sunday, Monday, because obviously if you look outside, you don't have to book. So if you look outside and you see it's snowy, then you're not going to go out, are you? But when I started on the Friday, Saturday, we did about, I think it was about 300 tests and we had about three positives, so about 1% we were getting. One in 100. Every, every positive test is, although it's not like positive as such, as in like good, it is in the fact that you've spotted another one and that means that less people will hopefully die because you've caught out a positive one that could have been passed on to someone and then hospitalised them. The, uh, the transmission R8's below one, I believe, is that right? Yeah, it's yeah. 0.8 to 1, isn't it? I think they, they estimate it to be. So that's that suggests that per one person infected, 0.8 people be infected after. Is that that's sort of how it works, I think. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's positive. That's the first time since, I think, mid-November or mid-December, one of those two months. Yeah, I mean, cases are certainly on the decrease. Um, they were a little bit confused in the press conference earlier saying whether it was going down as quickly as they expected. I think they said data from the ONS um, suggested it was still a bit of a slower decrease, but we're certainly heading in the right direction. So as a journalist, Matt, sort of, you've obviously watched all the press conferences. What's your opinion on the press conferences and then on the the data and the, the sort of the message being put across because I've seen on social media people often find it contradictory. I think one of the issues you have is that um, the public will want people in power to be transparent and tell you what they know so that the public can then be reassured that they're making the right decisions at the right time um, which is a debate in itself as to whether that's um, been happen happening during this pand- the pandemic. Um, But the difficulty then lies is when you've got so many um, different ways of showing the data 
like at the start we were doing international comparisons and then they changed from international comparisons to different um, ways of portraying the data and then there's different kind of ways of recording the data and showing that to the public and so to someone who doesn't have the greatest kind of concept of things you may look at it and just be a bit overwhelmed by all the numbers and it does take a lot to try and break down and work out what's actually going on here um, so I think the messaging has certainly got clearer now I think at the start we had kind of the government had taken the attitude of we're in a bit of a sticky situation here but let's try and possibly make it look as though we're doing okay in comparison to other countries um, now obviously the way that data has been recorded since has changed so that would perhaps lead us to why how they're presenting the data has changed um, but I think yeah it can be a little bit confusing when you're looking at these slides of data and trying to work out what is actually going on. Do we, do we think that's a that's a factor is the fact that perhaps Boris has tried to play the optimist too much and perhaps that led to people being more relaxed about it in the October November and that caused the rise in cases again? I think that's got to be a factor that's considered I mean he has um, multiple times over promised and under delivered um, you think back to what he said he kind of said oh we'll have a Christmas it'll be fine and like the summer he was saying oh it should be fine now and that kind of thing so when you look at those and you then get to those periods of time and that's not how it is you can say well was Boris a bit too optimistic or have the public perhaps taken it as though oh things are going to be fine we can start to relax I'm I'm in no way an economist but do we think the whole eat out to help out scheme was only put in there because it was seriously needed or did they actually think that we were coming towards that stage of the end? I think it was needed uh, not just from an economic standpoint but I think also from a morale standpoint to like the public almost like a reward of oh you've been stuck in your house for at that point I guess three or so months just over three months four months um and so here's like an incentive to go out and also I don't think personally I don't think it it obviously it did contribute to somewhat of the autumn rise but I don't think it was the only factor to blame and I don't think I think students going back and having no coherent plan of what that was, what was going on with that, um, that definitely contributed to it. Um, like I think you first saw the cases rise in students the most because they're mingling about with other students, especially in like September and that. Yeah. So obviously. The autumn rise has, however you want to take it, has been partially blamed on students. But at the end of the day, there wasn't much that we could have done. We were told to go back. And within a few weeks, most of us were locked up. From a, a political standpoint, do you think that's going to come back to bite the government? The fact that students have seen a Conservative government almost lock them up and blame them. And how do you reckon that will fare in coming elections? I mean, I think personally, on, on terms of lockdown, I personally can't see students returning to university this year, personally. 
um, probably because the government don't want to make that mistake again. And they're in a very sticky situation now where they could choose to try and get students back by Easter, but would be fearful again of, like we saw back in September, the small minority hosting parties and cases shooting back up again. Um, but I think, yeah, it will, it will probably have an impact on the election, um, but maybe not, maybe not too much because most students are left-leaning anyway. Well, we've got two uh, Conservative voters here. So what's your opinions, you two? I personally, it, I don't think it will affect the way that I vote um, right now, at least, unless there's a massive screw up. Obviously, that I'm not going to deny that there have been screw ups, like no coherent plan on students, um, like the test and trace to start with was was get uh, bad um and now with all the border things this is the border things is something that they should have done from very early on from the start but ultimately i don't think it's gonna affect the way i vote because i would much rather a conservative government than a labor one i don't know if alex feels similarly uh i'd mirror what matt said in terms of uh most students are left-leaning anyway so it's not gonna it won't i don't feel cause much of a difference in any coming election because any younger person tends to be left-leaning at first and then as they grow up and get wiser the saying is they become more right-leaning as you grow up but i think already you're starting to see in the polls just that well you you are starting seeing in the polls a vaccine um like boost for the conservatives so i don't know it's a long way to go to the next well for local elections it's only may so i guess we'll have a little bit of a view on how things are then when's when is the next election maybe 2024 yeah so as you said there's a long way to go until then it's still three years where they could mess up or three years where they could prove to be godly only only time will tell i think you've also got to account for the fact that though within those three years we'll also have a greater understanding of the effects of brexit as well and um, you can't forget that when it comes to um trying to predict how the next election will go yeah and i'm sure that there'll be another issue or whatever that comes around the corner within the next few next three years the union yeah there'll be, some, there'll be some issue in three years time that will be on the will be the main issue coming into the election most likely i'm hoping it's not covid but Thank, thanks for bringing that up matt actually because that's something we've not really spoken about on the podcast is brexit um so when it was voted for I was 14 or 15 and now I'm um, 19 and a half. It's only just gone through. So honestly, at the time, I didn't understand the politics. But at the time of Brexit, what did you three think? I mean, first of all, I'm just going to apologise now if our audience numbers have dropped as a result of us turning to Brexit. Brexit. Um, <laughs> 
but I think from my perspective it was always um that I would respect the outcome of the referendum I didn't agree with it because in my view um a team cohesion works better than individuality um and so why well from my perspective it was why leave something that seemed to be working um and enter an unknown I don't know whether the others want to come back on that <laughs> I think from to be fair a lot of people I speak to after I take politics course come into politics quite early on where I came in what interested me into politics was the whole Brexit referendum so especially coming from an area well the area that voted most heavily to leave that's what encouraged me into politics so I as anyone that knows me are <laughs> would give a would campaign to leave, etc., whatever. Um, and I've always ha- had that viewpoint and stance on the whole Brexit issue. I can see the reasons from the other side, whereas some people can't see, etc. But I feel within a few years' time, we'll be looking at it as a positive. I think even now we're looking at it as a positive with the whole EU vaccine scam. Uh, shambles that have gone on so i guess only time will tell but it's looking positive at the minute in terms of vaccinations if we were still in the eu what would have happened um i think because they buy it it's bought as a block so individual countries yeah i think we would be less um because germany i saw a story um try to go out on its own and buy uh, vaccines uh, and they got they couldn't do that because of the agreement they had with the eu as that the eu would buy them and help distribute them so i think we would definitely be not we would be in a less good position we're in i've said this very few times in my life but I saw Jeremy Corbyn say that we should be sharing our vaccines with other countries, and I disagree with the man. Okay, I've said it. Right, I'm recording this bit when it comes out, just to always have that with I, me. I disagreed with Jeremy Corbyn on an issue, which is something I never thought would happen, but I disagree with him there. Why should we spread our vaccine when we should just focus on problems at home first? That might sound nationalist, but, you know... It's a sign of the times. You've got to look after self before you can look after other people, even though it's not, we're the highest percentage death rate, I'm pretty sure, in the whole world. Uh, yes, we are. But why? Yeah, so why should we be giving vaccines to countries that have got less like deaths than us and whatever, struggling less than us? when we are majorly struggling and need to grab a hold of it. I think I would only possibly agree with what you said there. Um, if um, our top, say, six or seven most vulnerable groups, including teachers and emergency services, had been vaccinated by that point and then maybe give some to yeah, the less developed countries, that, yeah. because to us, 
like we we think that we had it back in March. To us, it was nothing more than a cold um, or like flu symptoms. So to take to take a vaccine away from us or delay us from receiving the vaccine wouldn't affect us too great. Whereas, so I would be more to leaning towards well, if it only affects me like a cold, we get those most winters. Why should I get a vaccine when I'm less likely to? develop serious symptoms from it than someone in another country who is in their 60s 70s 80s and could seriously be at risk of it whenever our scientific advisors are in a situation where they are happy with the amount that are vaccinated etc then yeah i agree in distributing to the less developed countries in the world and i guess the creation of the Oxford one, which is a, a lot, comes at a lot less cost than the other ones that have been approved so far, is a big step forward for the less developed countries within the world because it means that they can get hold of that cheaply and one that is able to be stored at a low, uh, more reasonable temperature. I think as well, um, didn't Oxford Astra- AstraZeneca say that they wouldn't be profiting? from the vaccine yeah, yeah um so that's and they're also part of covax uh which is the program which the who uh yeah, ultimately going runs. back to the first topic biden has put america back into right so end this week we're going to play a little game of three people would have at our dinner table at a dinner party dead or alive I'm going to save Kieran's to last because he's probably going to be intellectual. So It's not. It's not. Okay, we'll go. Matt Lee, go on. So first off, as an Ipswich fan, it's got to be Bobby Moore. Just kind of, what a man. I'm sure he's got plenty to say. Um, and then Barack Obama. Just seems like a cool guy. I feel like he'd be a... Yeah. I feel like they're, they're two very different people, obviously, but I feel like at the end of the day it'd be quite a cool conversation and then third one i was torn on between stephen fry and rupert murdoch rupert murdoch was my fourth one that i crossed off and i was leaning more towards fry and then murdoch suddenly came into my mind i was like hmm i wonder what it would be like to talk to him yeah so bobby moore barack obama and stephen fry are my trio go on alex well i'm thinking I'm thinking JFK. I feel he was a very controversial man when you look into him. Yeah. Um, I see this one. I'm stuck between two very different people. As a Forest fan, one would be Brian Clough. And as someone who just wants to ask the guy a lot of questions, it would be Adolf Hitler. <laughs> two very feel... different people. <laughs> the way onto the list. Always make the way to the dinner table list. And you think you're a bad person. But you're not. It's just intrigue. Uh, yeah. And then it'd be either of them. I'm not sure which one. But then the last one, just to be a bit more, make things a bit more cheerful, I'd need Jimmy Carr in there. So I'd probably go JFK, Hitler and Jimmy Carr. It's a, it's a right mix of people. Yeah. <laughs> Get on like a house on fire. <laughs> Night with Hitler, the house could be on fire. Oh, God. Kieran, who have you got? So for me, uh, I have Jeremy Bullock, who was, 
he died not so long ago, and he was the original Boba Fett actor uh, in The Empire Strikes Back. So I'd like to talk to him. I think he would be really cool uh, to talk to. I've noticed this. You always <laughs> you always find a way to get Star Wars in this podcast. Have you, have you got the list? <laughs> Please <laughs> tell me that I was not the only one when Cam was speaking. Going, who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> yeah, I was too. Right? Have you got like an agenda that says every week I will put Star Wars in this podcast? I think it's sponsored. <laughs> sponsored by Star Wars. I wish. I really wish. Go on. Um, I was going to say, um, Downey Jr. Yeah. He would be, uh, that, that would be really fun. Um, and then, oh, you made me, John Favreau, that's it. John Favreau. Uh, he's as a, I would like to speak to him as well about his experiences in Hollywood and directing, uh, obviously in Marvel, and I'm going to say it again, Star Wars. <laughs> I love it. I love you. I hope I'm not the only one who knows who just one of Kieran's gets that. <laughs> Every week you're going to find a way to get it on, and I'm going to support it fully. <laughs> People always say though, for this question, Madeline McCann. Yeah, just to know where she is, but I feel that once I was you gonna know say, is, you'll be like, All right, I like you leave now, I don't care. I've gone down that sort of road of curiosity in mine. So, um, I've started off with Karl Marx because he seems like an all around top bloke, um, John Lennon just because he's a legend, and with the curiosity, Jeffrey Epstein. I thought he popped into my head. Not a nice thought popping into my head, but <laughs> it was a very. Hmm. It would just be. I do feel though you need that like you need the comedian. To, Ricky Gervais would be a good one, maybe instead of Jimmy Carr. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just to, you know, brighten up the the table conversations. Especially with the people you chose, Alex. There'll be some dark jokes there. I don't know if uh, with Hitler at the table, I don't know if uh, Ricky Jays would survive the night or the SS would wheel him away. And on that positive note, let's let's finish there for this week. Well, I'm not gonna finish there actually. I'm gonna put in a NTU student called Zach. He's kindly took his time to speak to us today about the uh, black leadership program that is currently going on at NTU. So I'm going to hand over to my past self and Zach is going to explain that to us. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome back to this very exciting moment in the student angles history as we welcome our first guest, Zach, to the podcast. Welcome, Zach. Hi, thank you for having me. It's all right. You're, he's here today to talk to us about a very um, special program that's currently going on at NTU called the Black Leadership Program. Do you want to give us some more information, Zach, some baseline information? Um, yeah, so the Black Leadership Program is a program that has been run by NTU for a while now. Um, but recently they've had a little bit of controversy on social media, which is quite um, um, embarrassing to see. Um, so we're just going to discuss that today in the podcast and how and why that's come about this is interesting you just mentioned that it's gone on it's been running for a while but i wasn't aware of it so 
I wasn't aware of it. I wasn't aware of it either, actually, until my first year. Um, So I I don't actually know how long it's been running for, but it's really interesting because I, to my knowledge, it's only available for second year students specifically as well. That seems too specific. (laughs) Why only second year? It's like, um, so on the program, what is the basic premise of it? What does it aim to do? Um, it's supposed to empower second-year Black students throughout their time at NTU, as well as help them in terms of possibly finding a job after that. And this and um, this will help like boost their CV as well. That's a very good that's a very good idea, especially with the current climate. Obviously, there was the Black Lives Matter movement last year, mm-hmm. and it is very important that we raise awareness for for people in the community who maybe feel affected by that. So do you think this program is going to help you? Have you started it already? Um, I haven't yet. So basically, funny enough that you asked that, they actually sent me an email today um, saying that um, like they're basically going to get back to me regarding my application by the end of this week, I think. Um, so I don't actually know if I've actually been like accepted into it yet because they like it's apparently it's it, well, based on what I see, it looks pretty elite. So I think it's only for like a selected group of black students as well <laughs> in their second year. That's quite interesting. So you have to apply for it. What was the application process like? Um, it wasn't. It was long, but it wasn't daunting. If that makes sense. Like they ask you very basic questions that you like you would expect a second year student to be able to answer but it was just very long they have a lot of questions which was pretty frustrating did you have to do an interview for it or was Uh, it just a basic questionnaire essentially for now i think it's a questionnaire but after that they've said that they'll be launching an event in february um for those of us who are selected so like an introduction event i believe it is afterwards um but i mean that's even if i make it past the stage so what, you mentioned the questions on the questionnaire, or the application, sorry. Sort of what questions were they about? Like, um, so they asked us things like why why we're applying, why we think this will be beneficial to us, um, how we think it'll help us in the long run, things like that. That's, that's It's a really interesting sort of programme to run. It is interesting, and it, the questions were pretty direct, I feel, as well, which I guess in a sense is good, but given that there wasn't a lot of information on the actual web page, like in terms of description. Yeah, I was thinking that. I went on the web page the other day and I I, I don't, I didn't exactly get the premise of the program from reading the web page. There was certainly much to be desired about how to describe it. So that's, <laughs> oh that's, that's, why I've asked you, that's, that's why I've asked you what sort of it's about. Yeah, I mean, it's just to build confidence I guess, mind you, I mean, oof, it's a bit of a tough one, really. But yeah, leaving it plainly, it's really just as a way for second year black students to feel more empowered, um, gain confidence and just become a lot more resilient, I suppose, through doing different tasks and workshops and things like that. Obviously, we spoke about it the other day, the response to the Facebook page, post especially wasn't yeah. as kind as it should have been at all. So 
How do you feel about... Sorry, what was that? How do you feel about the fact members of the NTU community can react in ways like that? Um, That's a very good question. I think it was just a shame it had to end like that. I think given... I feel like a lot of it was coming from anger from Black Lives Matter. I don't think that people who commented on that page really targeted the program itself. I don't think they had any issue with the program whatsoever. I mean, I can't speak personally on behalf of anyone, but I think this I kind of saw coming given what happened from spring into the summertime. Given like the protests, George Floyd, you know, seeing the statues thrown out into lakes and things, I just think this was going to be a response that I I kind of saw coming, but I wasn't hoping for it to manifest in as big a way as it did. Yeah, I'm I'm just gonna name drop here. Ruth Harrison has put my <laughs> my son is studying at NTU. Disappointed to see this so blatantly advertised. I just that, that's yeah. that's awful. I saw that one. I wasn't gonna name drop. Um, Why but not? yeah, that, that one. I mean, because <laughs> this is a podcast. But I, I thought that was um that to me. I think. I mean, because I spoke to members of my family about it, and they they saw a huge problem with that. Given, especially that was coming from a parent. Now, on the basis that, I mean, because I also clicked on that person's profile. That person is a white female parent of a student at NTU. And I found that really problematic because she can't say that she hasn't noticed changes and she didn't grow up seeing racism in the UK. I don't believe that for one second. For her to say those words and be able to comment that so confidently on social media, specifically under an NTU post, is very worrisome to me. And to even... Like, even bring out your son in that as well. Like, what's your son got to do with that? Like, surely if any employers saw that comment, that would be a... That's a red a, flag. That's an alarm bell, isn't it? Exactly, that's a serious red flag. You can't go around commenting that on social media. Like, d- d- well, I mean, you can, but don't. Yeah. Why? Why would you say that? I, I felt really triggered by that, to be fair, because it kind of shows that this is definitely generational. And I feel like if you can comment that, then chances are even your child can comment the same thing in the future. And like that's how racism is passed down through generations. If you can actually say that, I think that's definitely a factor. Certainly. Uh, as I said before, the last year has been filled with um, debates about the whole Black Lives Matter movement and things like that. And I think it's good to see actions being taken by NTU because in the last year there's been a lot of words spoken by people, but I think there's definitely much more need for action now. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm hoping with this that it'll it will become more of a positive thing. I don't want people to see this as a negative thing because really it's not. It's really just trying to empower students. And another comment that I noticed, which was also from a person of color, not necessarily black, was them saying that this needed to be more diverse, which I definitely agree with. I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with it being more diverse, but I think 
there are a couple of things that I saw wrong with this. For starters, I think it was wrong timing, especially given everything that happened over the summer. Um, I mean, yes, we're in a new, uh, we're in an entirely new year, but I think people are still hurting over what they witnessed and experienced over the summer of last year. Um, additionally, I think it's because a lot of people also saw the word black and got triggered by it, yeah. as well as seeing, um, what's his name, um, Colin Jackson on like the thumbnail, the image of the description. So I think a lot of people definitely got triggered by that. So it's either one of two things. We either, I think, change the title, which I think wouldn't necessarily be the best idea, or have it be additionally a bit more diverse to be more inclusive of um, inclusive of students of color as well. Because I, I wouldn't I don't see the problem with that. I I just want to take you back to uh, around the time of the whole George Floyd incident, what was your initial sort of viewpoint on it? Um, that's a really good question. I mean, because around the same time, I personally was also experiencing racism uh, around where I was. Um, I think a part of me was upset, but not surprised because we'd seen this before. We'd seen it happen with Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin. I mean, there are a whole list of people that I could name that we've seen this happen with prior George Floyd. Um, this isn't anything new, sadly. Um, so I, I, I don't think I was that surprised. But I think George Floyd was definitely the breaking point. I think people were just so tired of seeing the same group of people die monthly, if not annually. And there being nothing done about it. Yeah. Um, Go my, from my point of view, I I was very shocked to see uh, how big of a problem it became, not just here but around the world. Honestly, it sent huge shockwaves, specifically here. And I wasn't expecting there to even be protests in Nottingham. I think that was the biggest surprise to me. Um. Another problem I had was people posting things saying that they were in solidarity when they truly know they aren't, but they're doing it as a way to basically let people know they're in support. But it, it's kind of, it's essentially false solidarity. Let's call it that. Yeah. I, do you have anything to say, Kieran? Uh, no, I was going to say something similar of like, they're just posting it almost to like hide, I suppose, maybe if, well, I'm not saying obviously everyone that posted, you know, um, a blackout Tuesday was, uh, was, but I'm, I would imagine that some people definitely were to not, so that they would feel like they weren't left out sort of thing yeah i saw a lot of problems with that i mean whilst i'm in like solidarity with like african americans i think i i personally saw a lot of problems with posting that black square it, uh, um it, known as blackout it, tuesday it, i think it was more saying something in rather than actually doing something doing something exactly i agree with that 
Um, I think a lot more could have been done as opposed to a black square. I, I mean, help me out here. I, th- I just think that was a bit... Yeah, just, I, yeah, I agree that some people did use it just for the whole look at me, I'm on social media promoting it. Then five minutes later, if you'd have asked them, they probably wouldn't have really said much about it. Yeah, and like another problem I had was people targeting other people because they didn't post one either if you didn't post one i don't think that necessarily makes you racist i just think you're not interested maybe you had other ways of helping or supporting the cause i don't think that makes you racist if you didn't post a square i mean honestly i i didn't see what a square was going to do you literally just posted it on social media not everything belongs on social media for starters i think there were other things and other ways of helping, as opposed to the square, honestly. Yeah, for sure. Um, something that struck me quite a lot when you spoke a minute ago was the fact that you said you'd experienced racism in your own community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to push you too far, but could you just go into that a little bit? Like, um, It was pretty bizarre. It, it felt really surreal when I first came across it, because... It was in my first year, so I basically, this was when the lockdown kind of first started, um, around March last year, and, like, we were just told to, like, stay indoors, and, like, everyone was panicking, and then throughout that, I was stuck on Clifton campus in um, my flat, in my accommodation, um, and it kind of took place over a series of days, and I remember, uh, like, a specific flatmate asking me like my thoughts on this and I kind of knew where it was leading eventually but I was hoping it wouldn't really get to that point um and it just made me feel really uncomfortable hearing the views on people on other people of color because this person was a person of color themselves so it kind of just it, it was a bit much for me but at the same time thankfully I um I was able to, excuse me, um, I was able to react properly because I had a good support system, thankfully, as well. Did you consider reporting that to university? I don't know if you did or not. Um, Honestly, no, I didn't, because I didn't think that there was any way that they were going to be able to help. I, looking back on it now, I realized why I should have. But I still don't think I would have. And if this goes public, I mean, fair enough, I still should have. But um, no, it's not something it's it's I mean, it's not something I keep to myself either, because I just thought there were better ways of me finding support than through the university. Do do you think the university. Sorry, we're not trying to question you, but do you like do you think the university should be doing more like. Uh, support as well I think um that's a good question I mean I can't can't speak too much on this because I I'm not even I mean I'm not black British I'm just black I mean I'm I'm half Nigerian half Ghanaian so I mean I don't feel like I really have a say in these sort of programs because they don't directly affect me um but I do think that um, 
there are better ways of resolving issues like this for sure that the university could do but at the same time i guess that's me like being a bit silly because i didn't even report my own incidents um to the university as well yeah i don't think it's anything to sort of ponder on i think obviously it's a time where obviously I as a white male I can obviously not explain how I would have felt because I've, I've got no idea how I would feel and I think from my perspective it's shocking to learn that at NTU in a community that I felt safe in that other people might not feel so safe I think it's something that in the future universities do need to work harder to ensure that members of the community who are prejudicing against others are dealt with in the way and they're educated and I think from my perspective um education's a big part in this people need to be educated inequality and things like that yeah for sure um but I feel like a big part of it also stems down to those who want to also actually listen as well it's very difficult to repeat the same things because i saw like a thread of comments below um that woman's comments that you mentioned and it just felt very repetitive because people kept trying to explain to i think someone called gary um about like why this program need um why black leadership program needed to be ran and like gary just wasn't interested in hearing like why and like how this helps black students and it just felt very um cyclical and pretty tone deaf and it was just very disappointing to know that people just won't listen regardless or like despite how much you like try to educate them and I mean, there's only so much one can do. Very true. It, some people are just inherently sort of inherently uh, racist, basically. Unfortunately, that's. Um. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, it's good that you I'm like you bring that up because I spoke to um a friend of mine a few days ago about this and. He said that, I mean, because I told him about um, the parents' comment, and he said that, look, this definitely isn't something that's passed down generationally, because he said he also had family members, and that even his own parents definitely share their own, uh, for much of a better word, have like conservative, stereotypical views on people of color, of, uh, well, not just people of color but people who are different to them and he said this look zach i understand your issue but like this isn't something that's passed down through generations i don't have the same views of my like my that my parents do so i mean i'm very pro blm i'm very pro immigration pro muslim like any like i'm pro everything so there's no way that this can just be passed down through family members i think this is something that's taught when you're at a very young age and because children are so 
easily impressed and um what's the word so impressionable that this just happens at a young age and like after a certain age there's just nothing you can do to change that anymore uh do you have any questions Kim? uh no no i think no that was uh <laughs> no, I don't, sorry I don't. that was pretty deep <laughs> no no uh, go as deep as you like like yeah it's a discussion so i'd rather these I, things I, I, exposed and talked about rather than just left to hide and sort of manifest yeah. deeper darker things later on in life yeah, I mean, I just, I just hope even with this podcast that things like start to change because I shared this even with um, black course mates of mine and they were really surprised. Like they were terrified of the comments as well. And I was like, well, what can we do to actually change this? And they were just in so much shock that this was actually still a thing. And that people could leave such comments on that page. And not even just black students, but even white students, all students, like everyone I shared it with was just like, wow, this is, I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, how can this still be happening even in the 21st century? And I think the saddest part personally for me was that wasn't like those comments weren't even from students. Those were either from parents and alumni and that that is very triggering again one because it says how you really feel even like as an alumni of ntu and two as a parent that means you're definitely setting the wrong example not just for your child but even for the people around you and you're forgetting that you're also part of the community as soon as you have a student that goes to, or a child that goes to university, you become part of that community indirectly, if not directly as well. Well, thanks Zach for joining us as our first guest on the student angle. No worries. Uh, Thank you for having me guys. Honestly, I'm so happy that you've brought this message to the podcast because it's something that we discussed. We wanted to help, well, try and help the community as much as we can and expose issues like the ones you brought to us today. And yeah, I think I, this is so important and I just I hope this definitely brings a, a more positive outcome. As you said, this is a big issue and all we can hope for is that in the future months, in the future days, things start to change and prejudices are gotten rid of in society. So thank you for joining us, Zach. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks, Kieran, for joining us. That's all right.